Scarlett's um, cam workroom with the pink wall and all the sex toys in one room. And I had Jack's bedroom in the next room. And they're both just, <laughs> and, the, and then the crew's in the kitchen in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. All right, everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined by Barrett Share. Yay! And Jonathan Watkins. Yay, yay. Mm-hmm. And uh, today we have a very special guest. It is writer director Ben Hosey, who has done a movie called Private Chat. It's in theaters February 5th, and it's on VOD and digital February 9th. Ben, welcome. Hey, uh, thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, uh, Private Chat is. Uh, is about a guy named Jack who spends all his time on the internet. His he's got a gambling. Uh, he's he he gambles on there. He plays blackjack, um, and uh, he interacts with a lot of cam girls, especially one in particular. Uh, so, what was your inspiration for this movie? Well, uh, I was thinking probably about five years ago. I wanted to make a movie that, in some ways, was about the internet uh, because you know I, I was thinking, okay, so what's what's the most interesting story I could tell about this historical moment. And I knew it had to be something about how the internet and phones are changing consciousness. Basically mm-hmm. that sounds a little academic, but, I, but um, you know, my, uh, I also play uh, music in a band and, and our, our band music is often about the internet as well. Um, and then I, and then it kind of hit me, okay, I can do a fun genre story. That's kind of like a modern noir if I use internet gambling and internet cam girls um, and, and have like a femme fatale type cam girl, that, as soon as I hit upon that idea, it just was like, wow, this is definitely worth exploring. Yeah. Hmm. And then uh, wrote a script in maybe like 2015, I think was the first draft, but really didn't get um, energy around it until a couple years later. But Yeah. Um, it's a, it's an interesting uh, uh, sort of study because the, you know, our main character doesn't seem to be able to interact in the real world in a normal way because, and it seems like everything that he wants is on a computer. Is that sort of what you were going for on that? It was. Yeah. I mean, there's a version of this movie that could have been, um, you know, a much, you could imagine like an incel type character, you know, mm-hmm. or, um, like a Travis Bickle kind of thing where the guy's a total sociopath and he can only function online. I kind of wanted to steer clear of that in my way. He's, he's kind of a, he's a lost soul, but he is, you know, he's, he's not completely social, socially adept. That's why I have the, the subplot in the movie where he kind of has a normal relationship with this, uh, the artist character, Emma. Um, he, he's, you know, he doesn't know how to deal with her per se, but he is charming enough. And, um, you know, he, he genuinely loves people. I think that's one thing I always say about the character. You know, when you see him interact with the, the, the house painter guy who comes to paint his house, you know, he's a friendly guy. He's just, I wanted him to be kind of more, uh, a stand in for almost everybody that I know um, me and all my friends is people, people that are place their yearning and desires online. Um, that's the, uh, that's the most beautiful part of this movie is the fact that nobody's necessarily defined because when you're set up, you're absolutely right. And how that hit me at least, 
when you set it up, it's this quote loser, right? He's, uh-huh. he's whacking off to the computer. He's, uh, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. he's, he's engaging in all this, uh, this, uh, uh, Dom sub behavior. And you're like, Oh, well, this guy's just this internet addicted kind of loser. He's probably a loser when it comes to gambling, not necessarily the case. He's probably completely shut off from society. And it subverts that in multiple ways, both by a shift in perspective about halfway through the film that I love, and then setting it up to where the other characters aren't necessarily a trope, not necessarily defined by one thing, including Scarlet, of course, mm-hmm. uh, who who has much more to offer than just this cam girl persona. And I think that's great. So when you're building these characters out, especially when you have a dynamo uh, like Julia Fox in in the the Scarlet role, you know how much does does their personal um, perspective on the character shape what it was, or was it that way on the page? Uh, it's definitely morphed when I met Julia and Peter. It's kind of my process when I make films. I like to really write out a character, but then allow them to morph into the person. I would say, you know, Jack. I always say is like probably like 60% fiction, 20% me and 20% Peter, but really he's a hundred percent Peter. He's just, you know, how could it be anybody but the flesh and blood person, you know? Yeah. Or yeah that's yeah. the magic of movies. When you point a camera at a person, it's actually a person, but yeah, what, what, you know, Julia especially is playing not herself at all, but it is a version of herself. You know, when she was younger, she had been a dominatrix in uh, hmm. New York. Um, so I think she was able to draw on memories of that. And I think in some ways she's playing like a, a younger, more naive version of herself. Julia's nobody's fool. And, and I think Scarlett's kind of a fool in the movie in, in some ways, you know, she doesn't quite have it all together. Nobody does. Right. Um, but I think, you know, there, like just the way she talks is so Julia, you know, it, it, <sighs> it became very clear on the first day of shooting that, you know, it wasn't important for Julia to say my lines, no matter how witty I thought they were on the page. It's so, <laughs> it's so much better to just let Julia say it and Julia speak. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's hilarious because she doesn't, yeah. you can tell the character doesn't have it all together, but relative yeah. to her environment, she's probably the most adult in the room, right? Definitely. Yeah. She's surrounded by children for sure. yeah she i think she's the most complex character in this movie um because she's got a lot of a lot of things going on at first she just seems like the fantasy girl and 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 jack is has gravitated towards her and everything but but she's got so many things going on we once uh jack hears something in the background and ask what that noise is, we sort of get a peek into her world mm-hmm. and, and, and it looks like she's doing this. She's kind of, she doesn't want to do this, but she's doing this for another guy that she's with. And it's like, I don't really want to keep doing this. And then he asks her for more stuff. And then, uh, I was just wondering sort of what else went into this character. Obviously you said you were going for a noir feel so there's a lot of like you know uh steps that you have to take to to make her the femme fatale and everything but what else did you put into that well um i knew i know some sex workers in in new york that are what what i would term say like middle class freelance sex workers which is Mm -hmm. like you know in new york there's girls and guys who um 
are sexually adventurous and, and, and it usually happens in maybe your twenties where you, for whatever reason, realize you're sexually gifted and it is a skill to be a, to be a sex worker. You're comfortable. You're oh, I know. Sex. <laughs> oh, yeah. and, and so you realize like anybody else, you have a talent at a thing and you go into this field to earn some extra cash, some, some quite a lot of cash fast and easy, you know, and it's not always fun. It is a, it is a job of course, but I wanted to show, um, I just know people. So it's based on real experiences and I've, I've seen how jealousy functions in people that date sex workers, but also the attraction. One of the key things about Duke that I found who's, who's uh, Julia Fox's boyfriend in the movie is Mm -hmm. that he's sort of repulsed by her being a sex worker, but he's also like so into it at the same time. And that, that dynamic I find absolutely hilarious. You know, oh yeah. yeah, he's got some of the yeah. best lines in the film too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, <laughs> I know this person, Ben. Like you know this person. You know yeah. this guy that talks with with a million likes. You know, like like I'm going to talk like this and like the where, where I'm at as a person right now. Like I can't really. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I know you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's hilarious. It's fantastic. Yeah. Well, yeah. So I, I guess I, I wanted, I don't want any of these characters to become one dimensional. Like part of the fun of making a genre movie is you can very quickly set up the tropes and everybody knows the tropes. Uh, you don't even need any exposition really. And then you can blow them open mm-hmm. and tell, you know, the movie's not really a genre movie. There's no guns. There's no, um, you know, there is a betrayal and I do follow some of the rules of, of the genre, but it's not, you know, like, unfortunately for some true genre people out there, you know, I think they would be let down. This is much more kind of, a, a, I guess, just like a, this is just a romance, really, or just a drama, you know, mm. but you're, I mean, you're able to, genre is great because it it sets up this framework that, and, and genre, you know, the, the reason why people love genre movies and why I love them is because they're, they're truthful. They deal with uh, these core concepts and ideas that always ring true. The idea of being obsessed with a woman who, you know, is going to destroy you. That's never going to get old for me. You know? <laughs> yeah. I, I think it works really well too, though, be- what you're saying, because the thing I really liked was that it didn't go where I thought it was going to go. And at the same time though, because I do have those genre constructs stuck in my head, there's almost like a uh, an, a tension built in, mm-hmm. a, you know, because you're just you know kind of waiting for that that other shoe to drop. Yeah, and uh, it was just it was a fascinating uh, ride in, in that sense. I yeah, guess. I think a lot of people uh, that I've talked to uh, that have seen it, they they keep waiting for something violent to happen, you know, because there yeah. are these things like like. There, there's criminal behavior in the movie. The guy stalks the uh, Julia's character. Mm-hmm. There's robbing going on. You know, there were versions of the script where you know guns came out and things like that. But but then eventually, when I started to make it, I was like, nah, that's not the kind of movie I want to make. I want to make a kind of movie that like something that could happen to the people on my block. You know what I mean? I, I wanted to keep it grounded. Well, yeah, I, I actually thought that there was going to be something coming to a head there. I actually sat there and go, okay, this is what's going to happen. And it didn't. Um, yeah. uh, there's a, you know, cause there's a moment where he's playing blackjack to help this guy out with his kid's college tuition. 
and and i was just like oh my gosh he doesn't really know this guy this could turn really bad really quickly and you know (laughs) it's a that you know it's uh one of those that doesn't quite go to the conventional thing that we'd see in other movies well let me ask you this uh ben the the cast is is great now I recognized uh, the Emma character from uh, a, a person in your band, right, Nikki? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, she was fantastic. And that whole interaction was so natural and so awkwardly funny. Uh, yeah. That was fantastic. But how did you get, you know, I, I, I have to admit, I wasn't very familiar with Peter Vack. Mm-hmm. Uh, did a great job. Of course, I know Julia Fox from Uncut Gems, which I think was was it filmed right around that time too? It was, uh, we did ours, uh, the principal photography like nine months before Uncut Gems, ah. but then I did reshoots about a year later after Uncut Gems. So it was in the middle. Wow. But we didn't know she was going to be in it when we did our film. I remember uh-huh. Her, uh-huh. she came to our set one day, which is really just my apartment in Queens. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and she's like, I was like, what did you do over the weekend? She's like, oh, I was in a helicopter flying over Mohegan Sun. And <laughs> I'm like, oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. now she's, now she's in my room with like three of my friends holding, you know, boom. And, you know, the, you know, like, well, that's <laughs> hilarious. I mean, she, she became uh, like a big, huge breakout after that yeah. film. And yeah. it's funny. Uh, I, it's, Funny, funny, I guess, but uh, your your film coming out in 2021, I'm sure the pandemic had to do a lot with it. Yeah. Uh, but now that she's essentially an established star or co-star, uh, even though that's with, with minimal uh, credits out there, uh, how did you find her in the first place? Was this just a, a call? Did you know her uh, ahead of time? No, I, um, the, uh, Two of the other actors in the movie, um, Keith Polson, who plays Duke, and Buddy Duress, um, I was in contact with their agent, of course, because um, I'm both big fans of those two actors. So um, they were, I think, the first people to be cast. And uh, I was talking to um, their agent, and he said, so who's going to play Scarlet? That's like, that's a great role. And I said, well, I don't know yet. I have like I had one person in mind, but I wasn't committed to it. And he goes, well, you got to meet um, this new uh, client of mine, Julia Fox. She's never acted before, but there's no way she's not going to be a star. And in <laughs> fact, she used to be a dominatrix. Like, why don't you meet her? <laughs> I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of, um, yeah, I just met up with her, had a beer, I think, um, in Manhattan. And I realized, you know, she's uh, there's something very special about her. Um, and then uh, we did a day of improvising with her and Peter and it was just magical. So I, I knew mm. it would, I, I also knew that she was in talks with maybe doing a movie with the Safety brothers and um, you know, anybody who knows their work knows that they have an incredible eye for casting. Um, so I was like, okay, well, if you're, you know, if you're going to be in a Safety brothers movie one day, yeah, <laughs> it's probably a good idea to have you be in this. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it seemed like it worked out perfectly. And Peter uh, is is able to hold the screen. You know, it's it's certainly not uh, found footage or 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 one of those screen based uh, films, but it's it's almost a very like I I should know more about this, but like a guerrilla style um, 
shooting technique, right? How did, how did you get that very naturalistic feel of the, the filming? Well, so, you know, when you, when you, this is a, a big question that I had when I was going to direct it. I was like, how am I going to make the internet cinematic? That's yeah. why there aren't really many good movies about the internet, even right. though mm-hmm. the internet is mm-hmm. like the, the biggest topic of our lives, right? Because it's, it's hard to film without being really kind of corny or, you know. I, so I thought that there could be, uh, I could do like essentially like Zoom or Skype calls and do like a screen capture kind right, of. Right, right, right. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, that just, that seems so boring to me. I, that, you know, I'm already <laughs> bored thinking about it. You know what I mean? So we, 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 we set up this idea um, where I knew for the acting, it had to be, the conversations had to be real. So, which meant I had to have two live sets at any moment. So there was the apartment that I live in now with, with Nikki, who plays Emma in the movie, we have two bedrooms and a kitchen. So I had Scarlett's um, cam workroom with the pink wall and all the sex toys in one room. And I had Jack's bedroom in the next room and they're both, <laughs> just, and then, and then the crew's in the kitchen in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> And it, it's tough because if anything goes wrong in one room, you know, yet now all of a sudden you're almost making two movies at once because you have to do all the art in both rooms and you, and the sound guy has to be recording sound perfectly in both rooms. You have to light both rooms. It's tricky, you know? Yeah. But I, I knew it would pay off because it's undeniably real when they're talking. And sometimes we would, you know, they would be having up to like 30 minute conversations, which are, they're following the script, but they're also improvising a little bit. And I could go back and forth with the camera and be in whosoever room. Um, and, and part of the style I hit upon was using a, a wide angle lens to really, I, what I love about wide angle lenses is that it's not quite fisheye, but it's almost, mm. is it like creates this incredible feeling of almost, I've been saying that it, it, it almost feels 3d where the movie is 2d, but when you move that camera through space, like the, objects tend to like kind of like pop out at you and it's like a mm-hmm. picture book kind of way. So objects become much more real. Those were, I was really into thinking about the, the physicality of the space. I wanted the laptop to almost become a character in and of itself. You know, I could do almost traditional movie coverage where it's like shot reverse shot with, with the laptop is almost a character with Julia on it. You know, yeah. Yeah. I didn't want to do the kind of thing where you green screen somebody's laptop and then you key in, you know, that, <laughs> yeah, that just, yeah. not only would I not really know how to do that very well and not want to put in all that work, I just, I wanted it to be real. Like it's, you know, that's one of the great things about low budget movies is whatever you lose in production value, you can gain in authenticity. Yeah. I didn't know if you were doing some sort of comment on the, in this movie about the way Jack lives his life. But one scene that I thought sort of encapsulated it was when he goes to the art show and he brings two guys he barely knows to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they get into a fight. He and uh, Larry get into a fight. Yeah. And then, then there's a moment where they're all looking at this one thing. Everybody in the entire gallery is looking at this one thing, but Larry's over making out with some beautiful woman on the, by the wall <laughs> and everything. And I was sitting there thinking, my God, the, our, our main character, Jack, can't interact with anybody, really. I mean, he, he seems to need to have computers in front of him. And main, meanwhile, the biggest psychopath in the room is getting lucky in the other <laughs> at the end of the room. <laughs> so I sort of thought that that was a great comment on what Jack is going because he takes a look over there. And I don't know if he's looking over there with, like, jealousy or what, but it certainly 
it puts a lot on his character, I believe. That also feels very realistic, by the way. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. That was, that was Buddy's girlfriend at the time. He he came to set and he took me aside. He goes, hey, Ben, you do me a favor, man. My girl's trying to get into the movies. Can you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so he was kind of like his character in the movie then. Yeah, I was like, all right. Uh, yeah, sure. Like there was an, a scene that got cut. That was actually really cute of him kind of like. Yeah, he goes up and he tries to buy her a drink at the at the gallery. And he goes, "Hey, can I buy you a drink?" And she's like, "There are free drinks here." <laughs> <laughs> it was actually a really funny scene. It just kind of like didn't have anything to do with Jack and went on too long. But I, right. I, I did flip in the you know him kissing her, which was happened totally by chance. Was not scripted. Or anything. No. <laughs> but, yeah, let's just make out over here. That's fine. Yeah. It's so funny because it fits perfectly well though, because yeah. it's, it, I, that's what I actually thought that it was sort of a kind of a, a statement on, especially just kind of the way Jack is and how, uh, it just, it seems like he's so bad with, with it, these personal interactions. Mm-hmm. And yet this guy over here, who's willing to fight, fight you at a moment's notice and everything. He's the one that's got the girl yeah. uh, and, and, and everything. And, well, and it shows every time, like every time Jack shows up is live in live with a room in a, uh, in a room with a live girl, he just can't do anything. Yeah. Well, in that same scene, he's sitting there talking to Emma who, who he knows, you know, he has a past with and uh, can barely get two words out. But then, you know, Larry comes up there. He's immediately flirting with her. And <laughs> well, I, I guess you'd call that flirting. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah. uh, telling her she's hot. It's just it's a, it's a great moment. And the sequence of events after that, too, even where he's with her in the apartment and, you know, what he ends up doing instead of, you know, being with her, I guess. Yeah, yeah that, was, that was one of the first ideas I had when I was yeah. writing. The movie. It just the idea of being at a girl's house and sending her out to get a bottle of wine so you can sneak into a room and get on a campsite. As soon as I had, I just couldn't stop laughing. (laughs) (laughs) I have to say, I mean, that brings up, you know, I'm not going to spoil anything about the end of the movie. The the end of the film is, is my favorite sequence. I mean, that's just like the most real dialogue I've seen. Uh, But the fact that uh, one character is like, you came in and you checked your fucking email like who does that? And it's like yeah. this guy does that. Like hey, she's yeah. right in that room, and he's like, "I'm gonna check my email." Yeah, you know, I I, I heard this story. I think it was like it was a while ago. It was maybe like 2005 or something. But there was this guy who was this. I've, I've wanted to make this movie for the longest time. It's such a good idea. It's like a Hitchcock kind of plot where this guy's a jewel thief or something, and he breaks into this rich woman's house and he steals all of her jewelry. But he gets caught because he checked his Facebook while like <laughs> open their laptop. And this is it's actually happened. I've been wanting to use that for so long, and then it kind of hit me like, oh, I can, yeah, I can incorporate that into private chat because there's something so tell. It's so idiotic, but oh, you know anybody could do it because we just check our social things without even thinking about it. It's like it's like blinking now, you know. Yeah, it's set up really well too because uh, the the character has you know jack has there's a moment in there where jack has been in her apartment or whatever and uh and and there's this whole like will he be able to get out without anybody seeing him and then and then you're like oh okay well then you know he 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 went through all of that and he got away with it or whatever and then she's (laughs) 
she's like who checks their email and everything by the end of it uh really really did enjoy that uh, i did i does just i was one i didn't want to spoil the uh, the ending of this movie at all but i did have a lot of questions about it like i i was wondering if you were just kind of um is is this is this are you saying this is this life now basically is this life now basically for for a lot of people basically i'm trying to yeah. figure out what what that was yeah. about well yeah that ending image i think it can be read in a lot of ways it's kind of mm-hmm. interesting i think it says a lot about the whoever's personality uh watches the movie because i had so mm-hmm. i've heard a lot of different interpretations from different people and they're all kind of they're always different than what I thought, but that's fine. You know, I, there's something sad about it, but I, I there's also something touching about it to me as well that it, it, it's kind of like the, the positivity of kink, I guess you could say is, is, you know, let's, let's, let's imagine that you're dating someone that can uh, only get off if, in this very bizarre way. Yeah. Um, if, if you are able to share that with them, that is, extreme intimacy you know so right at, at the end she is uh i find it really touching it's almost it's sweet and hopeful and i wanted it to kind of end in this to me it was almost like a frank capra ending or something you know like, <laughs> sure. like oh no, sure like they are, they no, are I see it. like she you know they this is a spoiler so anybody can skip you know 20 seconds ahead but they are i think going to actually try to get the money the guy's son's tuition and you know it's not like they're going to live happily ever after but mm-hmm. i do think they're gonna form a nice friendship and mm. I, I uh i found it really touching and you know i wanted this movie to start off in this really dark um cynical cd kind of way and it to end with this like um you know it's funny because i i say this and that's what i was going for but so many people have been like oh man that ending was so dark and it's like oh wow maybe i didn't do a good job as a director oh, i didn't feel that way at all no i didn't okay, either all right. well maybe not dark but they see it as like a um a more kind of sad reflection on like the lack of intimacy in the world or some, something like i don't know yeah but- those people are nuts No, I, I, it's definitely unusual. You don't, you're not going to see an ending like this. Uh, I would dare say in any movie that you will watch in the next, you know, anywhere it's a, it's completely unique, but what I didn't, I wasn't thinking this is dark or this is sad. I was almost thinking, well, this is almost normal now. And that's almost weird to say out loud. Yeah. So it's just, uh, it's one of those type of things where I was like, you know, like this guy, I mean, it's consistent with both of their characters to be this way at the end. So I have to ask like how one of the most authentic scenes I think I saw was, was the, uh, the, the recital or the rehearsal for the the play. Mm -hmm. How plugged in are you to that New York, um, almost experimental, um, play culture because that rang very very true to me uh especially you know all the the hustle and the bustle behind the scene and Mm -hmm. uh figuring out you know how far the actors are going to go the uh duke's line about like you know we're in this you you had a reaction and i think that's good i think we need to go with that that kind (laughs) of thing uh how 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 is that informed your your creation of this this part of the movie um, well, I don't know anything about 
the theater world uh totally but i know a lot about the independent movie world so that's uh-huh, uh-huh. that's that's my way of being able to talk about really the making of the movie itself you know yeah, yeah. Uh, you know that that's me making a little cameo as one of the actors rehearsing yeah, <laughs> yeah. it becomes this very strange meta thing of like me playing the guy playing the boyfriend who's trying to finance the thing trying to find like it wasn't it wasn't supposed to be me but the actor couldn't come that day and I was oh like, really oh, yeah. oh wow and so i was like oh i guess i have to do this you know is it that's you uh saying you know the definition of a whore and all that stuff yeah exactly well i, I, yeah. well, I, I think it, i learned this from scorsese <laughs> He has that bit in Taxi Driver where he's, you know, if you guys remember where he's in the oh, backseat yeah. of the car and he's like, have you oh, ever yeah. seen what a gun can do to a woman, you know, and it's, it's revolting. And I, I remember reading him say once, I didn't want to give any actor that part because it's, it's so disgusting, but I'll play the part. I'll, I'll like take <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so I kind of realized in, in this moment, that day when the actor wasn't available and I was like, you know what, I'll take one for the team and play and say, and say the most hideous dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god and and julie's reaction during that whole thing when she's in yeah. that that huge coat and everything yeah uh just looking disgusted while while duke is like yeah all right here we go like everybody's just into this uh <laughs> is is fantastic so yeah i i thought that that's what you're talking about with the authenticity you could feel the claustrophobia of both the space mm-hmm. and of even the actors on the stage you know, mm-hmm. yourself being included, like right next to each other, uh, mm-hmm. just felt very cramped and yet artistically true. Yeah, I mean, that, that's one of the things about making a movie like Private Chat is where when people are kind of playing versions of themselves and we're kind of improvising and the whole movie's set in my apartment, you know, you're playing with the flame of life in this kind of semi-dangerous way because it's, you know, we're mm-hmm. doing, it's fiction, but sometimes it's not, you know. And so I wanted the, the theater scenes are kind of meant to, to comment on there is there is danger in making art that way. I, under, mm-hmm. I understand that, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the deflection is what really shows you how people react to that. Right. Like because because she's saying, you know, this whole thing is about my life. Yeah. And he's and he's initially denying it. Like, no, no, no. What are you talking about? And then he said, you know, sometimes it's a little bit autobiographical, but, you know, now we're having a reaction. And it's it's both a defense mechanism, but it's also like a deflection saying, yeah. well, you know, what's your problem? Yeah. <laughs> it's just got to inform our art. Yeah, that, that's that's the problem. If you date an artist, um, they're always on, I guess, you know, they're always collecting data and emotions and ideas or whatever. You know, that's um, that's why I've always only ever wanted to to date other artists who are and because and, I, I think um you know it's it's kind of uh there's something very unhealthy about it mm. <laughs> but you, you mm. uh, but also uh something really exciting about it too you um, you need to be with somebody that gets gets that lifestyle you know yeah yeah for sure along the same lines of the uh the play that's in there you have the the uh the, the show, the art show. And, and, uh, I was wondering what the sort of the inspiration for the mic check, uh, uh, <laughs> the show was all about, because I found that funny mainly just because there's mo- like, you'll see, you'll see this video of, you know, this woman saying mic check over and over and over again, but then like it cuts to other parts of the gallery and their people are having normal conversations and that mic check, 
just keeps coming over everything anybody says and everything. So I sort of wonder what the inspiration was for that. Well, um, the first movie I ever made, uh, my first feature is called Annunciation, and a big part of the movie is Occupy Wall Street, you know, and I oh, yeah. mic checks with Occupy Wall Street. Um, I, I lucked out that when we were filming that movie in 2011, lucked out, um, it's kind of a weird way of putting it, but I did, I did feel like this at the time, Occupy Wall Street happened, so I was like, okay, we're going to go there and we're going to shoot actual footage of this amazing historical moment. And have mm. the actors and character interact with Occupy Wall Street. So I think mm-hmm. if there's anything interesting about that movie, or the most interesting thing is probably how it kind of, you know, it's actual footage of Occupy Wall Street. And then the second movie I made is sort of a political farce comedy about these communists that kidnap a Wall Street banker. And I, there's mm-hmm. a lot of mic checks in that movie. So it's become this kind of thing I use in my work. I like, I like it. It's, it's a great, um, the mic check is a great theatrical device. It's very bizarre. Someone says mic check. And then, you know, you guys would all have to say mic check and then I can say anything and you have to say it back. Yeah. There's something so wonderful and poetic about it. Um, but yeah, it's just played for laughs in private chat for sure. But, um, <laughs> uh, Nikki, who, um, plays Emma made all that art. So, Oh, know, really? Oh, really? Wow. I told her you can kind of make any anything you want to make. Just uh, you know, it's got it. And she had she's like, oh, I took one course in college about performance art, and she's like, and I and she's like, I remember I didn't know what performance art was when I was eighteen or nineteen or whatever, and I remember thinking like, oh, this will probably be something about performing, like acting or something. And she's like. And little did I know I was going to spend a semester like stepping on bread and saying one word over and over again. <laughs> 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 oh my God. It's like performance art is like too easy to make fun of almost. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really is. I mean, if you've ever been to MoMA and you've ever been to the Andy Warhol uh, stuff and everything, you can see a lot of that, uh, you know, going on and you're just like, what was he trying to do with this i don't know it's in the you know you got a lot of these imitators since too i mean it's fun because it's it's insanity like you know it's it's i don't i don't know i have to really talk to people that that are really invested in that world but i always just find it absolutely hilarious and what yeah. is cool about it is, is it, it is punk rock it really makes you uncomfortable when you watch it you're like wow <laughs> saying the same thing for an hour this is actually yeah. insane you know yeah um what so we we know that this is you know classic uh independently made movie used your own apartment and all that but uh what was your hardest uh day of filming what what took the most out of you oh wow all of it probably i don't know yeah i shot the movie myself too which so you know oh yeah camera on my back and then having to you know direct the movie is there's some pretty tough days. I think the, the worst day was um, we started, I started out with a different cinematographer who was asked to not be mentioned by name, um, who mm-hmm. I fired a few days into the shooting. They were, it's not that they weren't, weren't good or something. They just didn't quite get the feel of the film. And yeah. I wasn't happy with the footage and they kept showing up late, like things like that. So but right. I think it was the sixth or seventh day of shooting and we had, um, a scene that's now cut from the movie, unfortunately, but of course we, we had a, we had a big party scene with like, you know, 50 people or something, a bunch of extras. And it was, it was going to be Jack early on in the movie. He goes to a party and you see um, him kind of interacting um, 
with all these people. And uh, he was kind of, you know, like the, the fake app that he talks to Scarlett about the C stream. Mm-hmm. He was going to be mm-hmm. talking to other people about the C stream, almost like testing out if he can like talk about it to other people and how they'll react and stuff. It was kind of a good scene. And um, Emma was in it too, but it got cut because it, um, it didn't fit uh the the world of the movie like you it made it made jack feel like he's not actually alone you know if you start Mm -hmm. a movie in the first 10 minutes a guy's totally alone in his apartment you really can get inside that headspace if you start Mm -hmm. a movie in the first 10 minutes he's at this like exciting party and he's talking to people it just doesn't even though it was truthful it didn't fit the the rhythm and flow in the world of the movie like similarly, right. we also went and shot at a real casino and uh, we, and you know, I snuck a camera into a casino and got this amazing footage <laughs> of Jack playing, but it had to be cut because it's too glamorous. This guy can't go to a real casino, <laughs> with all the, with all, you know, all the flashing lights and everything. Like, even though like casinos can be sad places, they are exciting when you're there, you know? So, yeah. um, um, the hardest day was we had this huge party set piece and the cinematographer showed up late and, uh, I just said, look, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to fire you. And it, it was really, uh, you know, we had like kind of not a fight really, but I even got down on my knees. I said, look, I'm I'm putting myself on the ground so you know I'm not in a position of like power, or anger, hostility now. I'm sorry, you're wonderful, but you got to go. And then, and then uh, you know, she's like, well, I'm taking like the crew with me because like, she had a gaffer and a, a assistant camera guy with her and they, and they – uh, and they were, they were like, look, we, we want to stay, but we get work through this person. So they mm. left. And then, uh, you know, there's a bunch of like PAs there. And I was like, you who are all in film school, like, like, you know, 20 <laughs> year olds. And I was like, does any, do any of you know how to pull focus? And they're like, wow. I think I can figure it out. <laughs> it ended up kind of working but yeah it's super stressful as anybody knows making a low budget movie is extremely stressful i didn't sleep for like two weeks but oh, i imagine it's yeah. uh we've talked to uh, a bunch of directors over the past year and i think this is the first firing story we've heard so um <laughs> but it was a uh, pleasant one People- yeah People usually have the tact to not tell those stories. I'm yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you left, you left the name out. I yeah. think that's perfectly valid. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, it sounds like it was just one of those things too. I mean, sometimes when you're, when you're making art, you know, you just, you know, two people's visions don't connect. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's nothing, nothing personal. It's nothing personal. Right? Yeah. 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 I mean, there's people. Yeah. yeah. There's people who use the same person over and over and over again, and then have a disagreement on one film. And then they're working with each other again afterwards. So, you know, it, uh, stuff like that happens for sure. But uh, do you guys have anything else to ask? I have a question about a question, Ben. Okay. Um, can I ask you about the, uh, the, the, the sex scenes? Sure. Is it, I don't want to get too salacious. Okay. Oh, you can say I, I'm, I'm curious about the practicalities of the actual sex scenes. Now, when I say sex scenes, these are not, you know, penetrative, like, you know, hardcore sex scenes or anything like that, but they are explicit. Yep. How much of that, you know, you mentioned that you were shooting by yourself and it certainly is in all those scenes, very, um, I I don't intimate, I would say not claustrophobic, but they are intimate. Mm -hmm. Um, is that typically just you and maybe the lighting, uh, on set, Uh, is that typically, you know, basically the business as usual and they have to get to a headspace. How does that practically work, especially with a scene like the end of the film, 
that is so intimate between the two leads, mm-hmm. how do you get that uh, to come across in the camera with also dealing with the practicality of shooting a film? Yeah, so that's a good question. We would kind of, you know, we're at, we're at a, a real sex motel, so we oh, yeah. mm. get get a couple of rooms and, you know, the, the, it, the crew at that point is only like five or six people. You don't need that many people if you're shooting on location. If suddenly 12 extra people show up. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so, you know, it's, it's, it, we have someone maybe set up a light in the room. We have, you know, the hair and makeup does their thing really quickly, but then they leave and they go hang out in the other room. Actually kind of interesting when we did that sex scene, the, it was the Oscars happening at the same time. Oh yeah. So, I was kind of, you know, I'm not, I'm not like crazy about the Oscars, but I usually like to kind of hate watch them a little bit. And so I was kind of bummed, like, Oh, I can't even watch the Oscars this year, but it's actually, it's actually kind of fun. Cause we do a take and then we go in and they'd be like, you're never going to guess who won, you know? So we kind of <laughs> 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 so got, it, it kind of made it exciting for the crew. Cause you know, of course all movie people are going to watch it, you know, yeah, so they're, they're just kind of getting paid that day to just watch the Oscars and, and come in and maybe like adjust the light every hour or so. <laughs> But, um, so, uh, but to answer your question, really the only people in the room were me, someone pulling focus and the sound person. Mm. And when it wasn't necessary to have sound, um, they wouldn't even be there. And when, it, and sometimes if it was, um, not with, without a lot of camera movement, it would just be me pulling mm. the focus. Like for a lot, a lot of the Peter stuff, you know, um, there's mechanics of being able to get an erection in front of yeah. the camera, you know? Yeah. Um, and Peter, to his credit, is 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 pretty good at it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to go on his CV, right? Like his yeah. resume. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's not an easy skill, you know. I, 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 know I didn't know if you know, but I can boner on cue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't. I don't think I would be able to do it. You know, I'm not a. But um, yeah. So me and Peter are really good friends, and you know, very comfortable with each other. So a lot of times it's just me and Peter in the room and he's like, all right, just, I'm going to like use my imagination. Like don't talk, you know, Um, you ready yet, Peter, 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 are you ready? All right, Peter. That's the great thing about digital cameras. You know, you can roll for 20 minutes and uh, if we're all we're trying to get is 20 seconds of a moment, you know, I mean, it's uh, filming the, the sex stuff to me became almost, you know, it's, it's, it, it's documentary, like, I guess, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, it's uh, shot very much that way. It's mm-hmm. shot very realistically and not just salaciously. Yeah. It's not like Angelina Jolie and Antonia Banderas <laughs> whacking away in original <laughs> sin. Yeah, no, it's it's not, it's in no way, it's not meant to be titillating or pornographic or anything. It's just meant to be matter of fact and yeah. real. I mean, it was yeah. really important. It was really important to me to have male nudity in the movie. Like, uh, you know, mm-hmm. we've all, we've all seen the movie a million times where there's a, a beautiful naked woman. And, uh, you know, when you're making a movie about a cam girl, you have to have a beautiful naked woman. Why would you not want, want that? You know, that's kind of like built in. It's like having an action movie and not having any action set pieces. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. So, uh, but, but, but also, uh, the, the most important thing for me was to show the male nudity um, I've never really seen male masturbation depicted accurately in a movie before. You know, it's always played for mm. laughs. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. You know, I wanted to show it as a matter of fact thing that people do and, it, you know, show it in almost a poetic way, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and, and there, show that masturbation can be an intimate thing. She, I like I like the idea of mutual masturbation. There's a good there's a metaphor in there, you know, and it's yeah. It, I, I, I don't know. I just I I'd never seen that in a movie before. So um, you know, it, in a very annoying way, a, lo- a lot of people have pushed back uh, distributors and festivals and things like this because of the the male nudity, which. Mm. I'm kind of on a crusade of cock, really, because I feel like <laughs> there, there is, um, you know, we can have Texas Chainsaw Massacre, yeah. uh, and that's okay no for kidding. teens to watch with people's like pulling out their intestines or whatever. And I, and I'm nothing against that. I don't want to censor anything, but why can't we show an erection in a movie? Like, you know, yeah. all of a sudden that's obscene, but you're okay, like showing, you know, <laughs> and that's. That's a thing, right? Like flaccid versus erection. Isn't that even like a, like a, when it comes to ratings, I think, isn't that? Yeah, it is. Yeah. And you know, a, a phrase I've had, I've heard many, many times, like early on when I was trying to sell the movie, I would talk to LA distributor type people. And I kid you not, this is a phrase I heard over and over again. They said, naked women, that's art. Naked men, that's obscene. Hmm. <laughs> that's crazy. That's, yeah. That's, that is such that's like an ingrained sexism that, you know, I hope in the next hundred years I can be on the vanguard of cin- showing cinematic penis, you know. Well, <laughs> <laughs> but it's I like mean, in 2020, how 2021, how are we not past that? It's crazy. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, after especially the way HBO has approached their series over the past mm-hmm. 10 years and everything, I, I just I don't think dicks are that big of a deal now they're not that that big of a deal yeah exactly uh they're especially not uh compared to what it was like in the 90s where i heard similar stories to what you just said uh you know there there's there's something about it that's i don't know that the mpaa course made of a lot of like christian uh you know they're made up a lot of christian people who want to make sure everything is like oh you know fits their worldview or whatever and yeah and uh so yeah um but uh yeah i'm i'm on this crusade too i'm on your crusade with you man i think we should have the equal opportunities to show show dicks by the way you've got like a really killer like almost avant-garde like fruit of the loom commercial you could like cut out of those scenes i think <laughs> you, should, you should see if they're interested <laughs> would you like to join the crusade of cock yes you know, do you know the movie love the gaspar noe movie yeah i know i know of it yes yeah i, I was inspired by that movie because there's a lot of male nudity in that movie but yeah. and, and it's on netflix so it's like it's just it's just out there which is i guess because you know he's kind of a household name he gets a pass it's art when he does it you know <laughs> but um that movie is so glossy i i really do like it but like every shot feels like it's like um you know like a showtime you know everything is perfect exactly red. these are exactly beautiful yeah. people Maybe that's why there's a pass. Like, you know, it's like it's red shoe diaries. Well, plus it was, uh, mm-hmm. wasn't it shot in 3d? It was. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, yeah. about that. There's a novelty about it. Um, anything else guys? Oh, I could talk to you forever. And honestly, I could talk about, uh, your band and your influences and, and things like that. Uh, hey, let's talk about, do you mind talking about the band a little bit? No, please. So you are in a band called Bodega. How long have you guys uh, been around? Well, um, we've been calling ourselves Bodega since 2016. Before mm-hmm. that, we were called Bodega Bay. Basically, mm-hmm. there's some different members, but it was kind of the same idea of the band and still me writing music for the band. Nikki was in that too. 
that was like since 2013 ish, but we were, we didn't really um, probably hit our stride until 2016 when we put out our first record as Bodega. But uh, that's kind of why the movie took me so long to edit is because I spent most of 2018 and 2019 touring. So mm. I was kind of editing private chat, like, you know, in, in motels, if I could squeeze in 45 minutes <laughs> here or there or, or when we got home. Um, so that's why it took me two years to edit the movie. Oh, wow. <laughs> are you, are you from the, are you from Bodega Bay area or? No, it was a, it was a movie reference to the, the birds. Oh yeah, yeah. The birds. That's right. <laughs> nice. Nice. Well, also, you know, there are bodegas in New York. So it was a double thing. Oh, yeah. It's New York, but there also certainly a, are. A, a cinematic thing. You know? Well, I, I gotta tell you, and in my worldview, I'm sure that in New York, even before the pandemic and all that stuff, this, this music is, or this style is, is still popular, but this reminds me very much of the drag city discord years of like the post-punk mm-hmm. uh, era. And it was a welcome, it was like a warm, cozy feeling coming over me when I was listening to your band, because, you know, I, I grew up listening to a lot of that stuff and uh, was reminded of how much fun it was. Uh, yeah. So what is the the deal with with everything? Uh, not necessarily this movie, but with touring and with putting an album out and everything. How screwed is everybody <laughs> with the, the pandemic stuff happening? Pretty screwed because you know musicians, obviously, with streaming things, don't make any money. Yeah, uh, from yeah, recordings, yeah. Really, unless you're like of uh, the Drake echelon or something like that, you know. But yeah, so we make all of our money touring, and obviously, uh, we weren't able to tour this year, so that hurts. The good thing about it is I wanted to write an album, so um, had a lot of downtime. You know? Nice. <laughs> 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 The, the bad the bad problem is is you know it's, it's nice when you write a song um to be able to play it that week yeah yeah you know and test it out in front of people and also experience it with other people so it's it's kind of weird to make a whole record that's hasn't been road tested or or hasn't been you know it, it doesn't it doesn't you know on our other records it's kind of like we there's a joy in writing for a room you know, I think that's the best way to make stuff is for a purpose. So it's like, oh, we got to play this bar Alphaville in Brooklyn on Tuesday. I want to write five or six songs that I know will cut in Alphaville. You know what I mean? Oh, you know, nice. Like, yeah. like almost like design for that scenario. Oh, that's so, awesome. So it's, it's different when I guess the scenario now is just a record that people will probably listen to during quarantine. So that's yeah kind of interesting i didn't want to make it a downer record so it's it's still really upbeat and um has all the songs are fast except maybe one of them so i i want i didn't want to make a sad guy in his apartment record and you know (laughs) it's a a lot to actually actually this whole week we've been mixing it in the studio which it's really great because there's in our little bubble it's you know um the, the five people in the band and the engineer and so we've been and and our the producer this guy bobby so we've been, uh, it's kind of an energy similar to making a film where you have your, your little gang mm. together and you show up every day and everybody's really focusing on the thing. I, I love that kind of energy. So we're lucky as musicians to be able to still create, but it'll be tough money wise to see what can happen. I, I've, I have a feeling a lot of bands are going to break up that weren't 
that were kind of on the cusp of being able to make a career out of it or not, you know, mm-hmm. I bet a lot of the established musicians are going to release triple albums next year. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Everybody's yeah, writing. Oh, there's the so much writing going right. on. Yeah. <laughs> hey, don't knock that concept album about the guy in the apartment though, man. I want like, you know, track one be wash day. It, I mean, there's, <laughs> there's something there, man. Wash day. When, yeah. when you are, when you're, uh, when you're prolific in in both music music and and movies and everything is there anything that particularly pulls you one way or the other or do you are you consider yourself musician first filmmaker next or is it just both or what well this is what it is when i'm on tour and i'm uh, in backstage talking to a bunch of musicians i say well you know this is like a thing that i enjoy doing but i'm really a cinema guy and then mm-hmm. when i'm at when I'm at uh, hanging out on a film set and I'm like, you know, I love making movies, but in my heart of hearts, I'm a, I'm a musician rock guy. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. <laughs> this sounds right. Um, I, yeah. Um, I don't know what that says about me, but I, I, I do them both equally. Um, and I hope to make a life of going flip flopping back and forth. I think it's very healthy for, for me at least to be like working on a script for two weeks or something. And then, um, maybe when I hit a wall or want to express myself in a different way, write a song and they're, they're very different. I don't know. They're, you know, p- playing a, playing guitar is so different than directing a movie, but ultimately they're both conceptual acts. I guess like, like, you know, producing a record is just as conceptual as directing a movie. And it's more like, like directing a movie. It's often kind of directing players. Uh, you know, like um, we had a, a guy play guitar on the record um, and, and almost directing him. Like, I want you to play this solo uh, expressing this emotion in this, you know, in this style, that's exactly like directing an actor. So Mm. there are a lot of similarities, but I don't know. People always ask me, why don't you make a movie about a rock band? And I, and I know I have to do that one day um, (laughs) and and I know I can do it really well. But I, I'm not ready. And also, I don't know. that There's a reason why I almost use no pop music in my films. I use mostly classical music or noise things or something like that. It's because, I don't know, It I like to keep them separate. I have I, I kind of dislike the music music videos because they, I think they do a disservice to both mediums. They do a disservice to cinema and they do a disservice to the song. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I enjoy a good pop video where people are miming and lip syncing and stuff, but I don't like... I really don't like music videos that are more ambitious than that. Cause I feel like it's like, it's kind of false cinema, you know, obviously there are exceptions. There are great music videos, but um, yeah, I don't know if that answers the question, but no, <laughs> totally. speaking of the classical music though, when um, one of my favorite lines in the movie just kind of offhand was when he was listening to Mozart or whatever. And Julia Fox was like, uh, I'm not aware of his work. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, it was Beethoven. Yeah, yeah. Beethoven. Yeah, I couldn't remember who it was. Yeah, not not don't know any of his songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. Well, I, I should take this opportunity to shout out the um, Austin Brown who did the music for Private Chat. Uh, there's the Beethoven for half of it, but then there's also there there is some guitar and synthesizer things, and he's I don't know if you guys know the band Parquet Courts. He's in that band. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a I have been trying to bridge the gap and a little bit in, in from my two worlds and obviously Nikki from my band acts in the movie. And there's, there's a lot of cameos of other band people in the movies and stuff. And, you know, um, they definitely draw, I, you know, it, one, one great thing about a band is 
it's like a, a little gang that does everything together. But that's kind of the problem with the band too. Unlike a movie, you know, you, I can become best friends with Julian and Peter for three weeks and then mm-hmm. never see them again. And there's something mm-hmm. kind of nice about that, of like really investing in a thing and then everybody moves on with their life. With yeah. a band, you're kind of stuck with the band. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and you have to you have to learn how to evolve together with a bunch of people that all have their own tastes. You know, they're tricky. That reminds me of uh, that story that Malcolm McDowell was talking about after he did the Clockwork Orange, where he had worked with Kubrick for all this long time, and he thought they were just best friends. And yeah. after that was after they were done, he would keep trying to call him, and Kubrick's like, I'm, you know. <laughs> He just he'd either not answer his calls or just you know hey we're we've moved on we're on to the next thing so hope, hope, hope you have a good luck doing whatever you're doing next you know so. uh, that story kind of reveals like maybe maybe the weakness of of a director like Kubrick he's not a people person right right yeah, exactly he's on to uh, what was it Barry Lyndon before The Shining yeah it was Barry Lyndon at that yeah, point I mean great yeah. movie but right right. <laughs> Uh, we'd like to thank uh, Ben Hosey for joining us and giving us his time. Uh, the movie is Private Chat, has a limited theatrical release on February 5th, and will be available on digital and VOD on February 9th. Um, that's uh, going to be it uh, for this interview. It's Chris Atkinson, Barrett Sharon, Jonathan Watkins. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com.